Hello, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of Build Value by Choice. I'm your host, Nana Bonsu, President and CEO of Infinite Horizons Incorporated. Infinite Horizons focuses on helping small business owners gain a competitive advantage in the workplace, in the business world, especially against larger fishers out there. Our website is www.infhorizons.com. And this podcast is almost like a virtual board of advisors. And every week we focus on either bringing in experts or even by myself to talk about specific aspects of business life that are of interest to business owners out there and business leaders out there. This week we have on a special guest who is going to talk about work-life balance and how that impacts the lifestyle of business owners and, and business executives. Jason uh, Wojo is uh, CEO of Life and Air. And Jason actually came as a student to Life and Air back in 2019. And uh, his gratitude for Life and Air's message and philosophy, along with desire to empower and encourage others, led him to becoming not just a titanium um, coach, but working all the way through to now running the company as a CEO. He has spoken and shared with audiences of all types through the proven Life and Air process of creating a life and business they love and how you can be next. He lives in Raleigh, North Carolina with his beautiful wife and three daughters and has a dog named Rusty. Welcome to the show. Hey, I am so excited, man. Thank you for sharing uh, me with your audience and I can't wait to dive in here. Can you, uh, for people that don't know about Life on Air and what you guys do in your philosophy, can you share a little bit about what your mission is and how yeah. you're making a difference out there? Man, yes. So Life in Air, now it sounds like a weird word. Just think of the weird, think of the word millionaire except with life. And, you know, I, and it's ironic that I know a lot of life in heirs that are millionaires, but I know very few millionaires that are life in heirs. And we can talk more about that later and why I think that's true. Our whole thing, our whole MO is how do we help business owners, specifically small business owners and real estate investors, entrepreneurs, how do we help them live the life that they want to live and create and structure a business to support that life? You know, so many people, um, have this rosy glasses approach to business that when they, maybe they quit their nine to five job and they think that they're going to achieve freedom both in their time and their, in their finances. And they get into work and they get into business and they realize they're working twice as hard as they were when they had a job, twice as many hours. And they're making like half the money. Like that is not the, the approach that most people want, nor is it really the, uh, what they expected. And so our whole thing is like, Hey, let's figure this thing out. Let's Number one, figure out what your life is going to look like because that's going to dictate what your business will look like and will influence every component of your business. People think there's two separate things are actually very, very closely related. And then how do we actually create your business or tweak it or modify it to, to serve the life you say you want to live? And that's, that's our whole thing, man. Life first, business second. Wonderful. So yeah, um, why do you feel like business leaders and owners um, you know, feel like they have to work so, so much? Dude, that is a loaded question because there are so many different answers to it. But behind most of them, what I would say is there's a, a scarcity mindset. There's fear, you know, fear of not having enough, fear of going without. Maybe there's fear of what their competition is doing. Uh, here's another, some interesting ones is like, you know, let's say you weren't working as much. What are you going to do with the time? You know, a lot of business owners are really good at what they do. And so they feel like, number one, I don't want to waste my gift, um, which by the way, side note, I think if you're working all the time and, and your life is struggling and suffering because of that, you're abusing your gift. You're not honoring your gift, you're abusing your gift because you're supposed to have the life as well. Um, fear of you know, um, 
of who I am. Like if you, if you're really good at what you do, there's a, there's a strong sense of identity with that. There's a, there's your pride is wrapped up in that. You're the go-to person. You're the, you're the man, you're the woman, you're the person, you're the rainmaker. Right. And it's so easy to get wrapped up in that identity piece of it. Plus we live in a culture that glorifies the grind. Like we, you see it everywhere, 10 X this hundred X that. And that's a, that's a, in my experience. And this is just my beliefs. And I think that's a, that's a surefire formula for, for heading off a cliff and, and for self-destruction eventually after enough time. Um, and so it just becomes part of who we are. And we got to realize this is where, man, I think people confuse the vehicle with the destination, meaning the business is supposed to be the vehicle to get you the life you want. The life you want is the destination, but the business is the vehicle and people miss that, man, they, they mess, they mess that up. Um, and they make the vehicle, which should be the, you know, the business, the destination. And then that's where, that's where people get so consumed with work and whether, even if they're not at work, they're thinking about work all the time, you know, they're with their kids and they're, they're thinking about their next job or deal or something, something that went wrong or money or paying bills. And like, it's all consuming, like, and, and you got to break that. You got to get out of that. Uh, that's a powerful kind of thing that sometimes we lose perspective on uh, yeah. what's important. What I, uh, what we like to call the owner's trap is, you know, especially when you're referring to this concept where the, everything depends on the owner and uh, yes. the person is a go-to person it becomes part of the identity. Um, what is the biggest mis- misconception that uh, especially sport business owners have, you know, about money and happiness? So it used to impress me when somebody made a lot of money. And now I'll say that it impresses me if you make a lot of money and have a life. And so what I have found is that, yes, I think there is a, there is a marginal relationship between money and happiness up to a certain point. But I also think that at some point, and, and listen, I'm a slow learner. I had to learn this myself. People told me this and I didn't listen. Um, but at some point, another zero in your bank account, I swear to you, will not mean a single thing. You will not feel any different. You know, there is a point where for me, I remember a point in my life where I, th- I thought if I, man, if I only had five grand in the bank, like life would be amazing. Like I, I just need five grand of savings. And then guess what happened? And man, if I only had 10 grand of savings, if I only had 25, 50, hundred, I went, I got up to over $350,000 of cash. This isn't any of my assets. This isn't my business value. And I realized what was my next number? If I only had half a million of cash in the bank, and I realized like this was this is the trap that, that I was stuck in, that business owners get stuck in thinking that more is better. Meanwhile, you worked past the solution. Like if you would have known and had a vision for what your life was supposed to look like, you would have realized, gosh, I really only need, I don't know, whatever, $150,000 a year to, to live everything I want to live. And so meanwhile, we, we, we worked past the solution. So yes, I think there's a relationship between money, but it's way less than you think it is. And, and I'm not talking about, people that are struggling, you know, if you're making, you know, 30, 40 grand a year, you may, and you got a family that's, that's tight. That's tight. I'm not going to dispute that. Um, but at some point, like more is not better. Um, you know, and, and you, I know you, you help business owners with this too, is like at some point as you scale, things get more complex. There's more moving parts. There's a lot more things to consider. And so it's just not as rosy as people would think, you know? And, and so I think people get to keep an eye on that too. And, keep an eye on this. Like, do I only want to make that money because of my ego? You know, is it because mm-hmm. I want to accomplish something, which I'm not saying it's bad. Just be honest with yourself if that's what you're really after. Yeah. And uh, one of the things that we've noticed is that there are different um, categories, broad categories in general. Um, there's um, 
there are business owners that are just interested in growth where you know it's almost like a competition thing right yeah. like i have i have a you know i have the biggest car i have a v8 and somebody has a v12 and therefore i got to kind of one up there and then there's business owners that just want uh, freedom and independence and the business becomes the vehicle um to achieve that and then there's others that just want to master their craft and i guess for those type of people they're not really operating as a business they're more operating as self-employed just like their job and you know when you're not there there's no business type of right thing. that's dangerous that's dangerous yeah. it's you get this i can see there's a lot of reward in that and people like working with their hands but what you just said is so true and if if you something happens to you you may be in trouble. Like, you know, if you haven't set things up correctly, that it's completely dependent on you. Yeah. How do entrepreneurs manage the work-life balance um, situation? Man, I, I think the first thing, like if I were to give somebody advice, the first thing would be like create a vision for your life, like really create the vision for your life. And what that is, is, is a detailed kind of a roadmap, a plan, a, a blueprint, whatever word you want to use for what is my, what do my days look like? What does each component of my life look like? You know, from from health to, to finances to relationships to your spiritual life, maybe even if that's important to you, and all these different components. And when you do that, you'll first of all know what you want for your life, and then from there you can start to work on work life balance. And so, um, you know, we we have a we have an event where we walk we walk people through this and. Oftentimes people will create their vision. You, you create a calendar. We have people create a calendar of, Hey, what is your, what does your ideal week look like? And then once you put down all the things you want to do, then in the places that don't have anything written, now we figure out how we can work within those hours to give us the life we want. And so, but the work-life balance thing I think is, and, and, and let me also say this in all fairness, there are seasons to life in business. There are seasons where you're going to be working harder than you want to. And there's going to be seasons where you're going to be working less than you want to even. Um, and so you got to give yourself some, some grace with this, but I think it all starts, it starts with a vision because if you don't have, so the vision is really, and I know I hate using this word because it's so cliche now, but it gives you your why, like, why do I need to work, you know, four, no more than four hours on, on a certain day? Well, it's because like, if I don't, I'm going to give up my time. You know, I want to pick up my kids from daycare early or I want to be home when they get out of school, or I want to have date night with my husband or wife or my spouse, or, you know, or I want to get to the gym and which of those do I want to give up if I, if I work over that four hours and the answer, if those things are really important to you is going to be none of them. Like, I don't want to give any of them up. So that's how I think you achieve work-life balance is having a, having a clear picture of what you're, what you're sacrificing by, by working too much, you know, cause, cause I think otherwise, if you don't have that, you're going to be like, well, what else am I going to do? Like, I don't have anything planned. I may as well work. Why not? Like, what's the point? Well, you know, I, I'm good at work. I, I like work. I'm just, I'm going to keep working, you know? Uh, so I think that's for most people, the first step. You have a process called SEED, S-E-A-D, that is helpful for business owners who are overworked and overwhelmed. Can you describe what that framework is? Yes. Yes. I love this. And so this is a, a patent pending formula we've developed at Life and Air and it stands S-E-A-D, um, and it stands for the strategic elimination is the E, automation, the A, and delegation, which is the D. And so this is SEED, S-E-A-D. And here's the rule for it. And so if, if, if your listeners are taking notes right now, this is something they'll want to remember. You never delegate something that you can automate and you never automate something that you can eliminate. Let me say that one more time. Never delegate something you can automate and never automate something you can eliminate. 
And so when you take this process through those steps, so the first thing you're going to do is look at your business through with a, with a, imagine like you're, you're, you're moving your house and this is your, and you got a whole, and it's super expensive and you have tons of stuff that you look at. And, and I want you to look at it with a, with a very critical eye. Like what can go, what do I really not need? Or what's, what's adding marginal effectiveness to my business, excuse me, or marginal like profit to my business or, or, you know, what's, what's giving me 2% of, you know, uh, of profit, but it's taking up 10% of my time. Like look, look for those kinds of things to eliminate. These could be, it could be people, it could be positions, it could be roles, it could be products, it could be services, like an offering. Uh, what can I eliminate? And uh, one, of the, one of the criteria we use for that is the 80-20 rule. We can talk more about that uh, later. And then from there, the next step is like, hey, what can I automate? So this is, I, by the way, I love automation. I have become a full-on automation addict, um, AA, right? Automation addicts. Yeah. And, and so- and I, AA. <laughs> right. And so I, this is so great because your automation, I look at automation as an employee that does exactly what I want them to do all the time. They don't take vacation. They don't take sick days. They're never, you know, they're never like slacking off, like watching like Tiger King or something like when they should be working. And it's perfectly done every time if you set it up correctly. And so this is a huge step. Now, let me, and, and by the way, this isn't the scariest step, but it can be a scary step for people that are like, Hey, you know, I usually do this. And like, how is it going to make my customer feel, you know, less personally connected to me if it's automated and things like that. We'll talk about that in a second. And then the last step is delegation. Delegation is no doubt the, the most challenging part technically for the skill side of things, as well as for the business owner. Because like when you delegate, I mean, how many of us feel like, oh, this is my baby. Nobody's going to do it as good as I can do. People are unreliable. People don't care about my business like I care about it. And like, so all these fears come into play with delegation. Um, so what you can't automate, then you go to delegation. The reason this process is important is because it, it gives you your life back. Like you mentioned this earlier, if you're a, if you're a one man, one woman show, if something happens to you and you don't have systems in place and things delegated and things automated, the business is going to grind to a halt, which is a very dangerous place to be in. Um, I have a friend, a, a close friend, his name is Russ. He lives in, in Pennsylvania and he ended up getting a brain tumor several years ago. And to this day, he is still compromised. And he told me, he pulled me aside. He said, man, if there's one thing I would have done differently, it would have been making a business that did not depend on me to provide the income for my family that it needs. And that really just stuck with me. And that's why I like this, this process. I want to encourage everybody to look at this seriously. Uh, and we're working on a book on it right now. It'll be out later this year. But like, it's so important to, to consider this as, as something to include in your business because it's just so powerful. That's a... Uh... That's um, now okay. So I guess we can pivot back to the eighty twenty rule. Yeah. So can you um so so in, so you work from I guess you know I guess it's back and forth right you 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 start from the right so okay you don't delegate what you can automate and you don't automate what you can eliminate and then if we go in from left to right you use the process of eighty the eighty twenty rule to identify what to eliminate and and then you kind of go from there. So can you um can you um kind of Expand a bit on the eighty twenty rule and what you're yeah. thinking on that. Yep, yep. So, so just to bring uh, everyone up to speed, just in case you're not familiar with the eighty twenty rule, it's called the Pareto principle. Uh, without going into the history of it, the 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 essence of it says that eighty percent of your results, eighty percent of your output is due to twenty percent of your inputs. So, for instance, eighty percent of your profits are are 
due to, or can be attributed to 20% of your efforts, 20% of your offerings, 20% of your customers. Like, and you can use any variable here you want. Um, but what this really says is that most of the output for something will come from a minority of inputs. Now, the interesting thing with the 80-20 rule is you can, you can play this down like as far as you want and the math goes. So if you, so for instance, you have 80-20 at the first level. Then if you take, you know, 80% of that 80% and, you know, and you can really wiggle it down to like even 64% of your results come from 4% of your efforts and it goes in, in layers. But the, and, and I'm not going to, listen, it's not an exact science. It's not exactly 80%, but it's a, it's a, it's a natural law that you can use to your advantage and leverage this. So when you realize what is like, let's say you're a business. And if you looked at your product offerings, um, maybe you, maybe you're a, you, I, I just, I just worked the guy uh, who does garage floors and he does epoxies. He does these, these acetone treatments. He does all these other things for driveways is for sidewalks. And we had him look at where his income was coming in as well as the, the, so we looked at the, we looked at the, 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 the revenue, then we looked at the cost of goods and to see how much, like what was the margins in here from the cost of goods. Then we looked at the net profit from these. And then one other variable that I had him look at was like, how much time is this take? Like, what's the, what's the energy? Like, you know, so for instance, um, a like a garage floor, let's say takes him two days. Okay. And that makes this much money. But this other thing over here, uh, only takes two hours and it makes, you know, half of the money of the garage, door, the garage floor, but you, it takes you two hours. Could you book four of those in one day? And you just basically, you know, doubled what your in your, uh, your profit would have been from the garage floor. And so, so the 80, 20 rule essentially says like, look at everything you're doing. And this is something that like, we're, <laughs> we're business owners. Some of us are not good at this. We're like the run and gun kind of, kind of we're, we're, we're building our parachute on the way down. Like, and I get it like that. That's fine. That's great. But this requires our metrics to be in place that we know what is producing our revenue and our and and not listen. Speaking of revenue, that's that's an ego number. Let's look at profit. Let's look at net profit because that's really ultimately what's most important. It's cash flow. And so when you look at that, look at where your money is coming from, what services are associated with that, and then what's not serving you. Look at the things that are not. Look at the things that are not producing. You know the 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 results you want. So from the 80-20 rule, tying it back to that, that means that 80% of your efforts in some cases are producing 20% of your results because all we did is reverse it, right? We reversed the formula. Mm -hmm. And so get rid of that stuff. Now, in practicality, here's what I want to encourage you with. Don't do it all at once. You will go nuts. You'll, you'll freak out. You'll, you'll lose it. You'll be up at night crying, curled up in a ball. Like start, start with one thing. Start with the least profitable thing or the thing that you like the least, or the thing that doesn't serve your business. Um, I was working with a guy who does, um, he puts in, uh, he has a dock service business and they do everything from installing docks to servicing docks, to boats, to, to all these different things. And when he looked at what he was doing, he realized that so many of those tasks were taking him off his eye off the ball for the things that were most profitable. Because what's, what's really underlying this principle is that when you realize what you're doing that is not contributing to your business, when you eliminate that, now that time is freed up so that you can focus on the most powerful thing, the most profitable thing. So it's really it's 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 really double whammy because now you're free to do the things that are that are best for your business rather than being stuck in the mundane things that aren't producing for you. Um, 
I, that was kind of high level, but I, I wanted to give everybody kind of an overview of how they can start to do this um, and just do it one thing at a time. Like pick that bottom, that bottom 10% even like pick the one thing and, and give it a couple months and see how your business is. is are, and, you know, are you, are you more profitable? Are you happier? Are you, are things working more smoothly? Um, and if that works good, great. What's the next thing I can get rid of? And you keep going through it. It's an, it's an iteration. It's a cycle. Like this whole seed thing, it's, it constantly revolves it, 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 as your business evolves. You're, you're going through this over and over and over again to get more and more efficient and effective. Which is probably why it helps to have an outsider, an advisor or a coach to help you just kind of, cause once if you're in, in the middle of it, sometimes you don't see like how things are evolving and maybe some things that may not be as applicable or as relevant or as important as it was before. Totally true, man. You're too close to the canvas, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, so now, okay. So now we've got them passing, you know, we're on the A. What criteria heuristics do you use to determine what automate? So for me, the first thing I'm looking at for automation are the things that I'm doing repeatedly that really don't need someone to do personally. So for instance, and, and for me, it started off real simple. And, and for instance, in, in Life and Air, the company that I run, I, so for instance, we have our billing automated. So, you know, if you, if your billing doesn't go through, you're getting an email from us. And if you don't resolve it, you're getting another email and then another one, you're getting a text message that's automated. If you uh, want to register for one of our live events, Guess what? As soon as you submit that web form, you are getting your your registration information. You're getting reminders for the event. You have a, you're getting a pre-event questionnaire, so that I can read it. So that, and I use that to tweak the event. That's all automated. We have uh we have a survey automated. This so any every business should use this. By the way, like so so maybe the ones I mentioned before are a little industry specific, but this one everybody should have. Like after you do. Uh, a service for somebody or they buy your product, send them a, a quick survey. Like, Hey, how's it going? Do you, are you liking this? Um, give us a rating, leave us a review on Google, you know, business review on Google um, that can all be automated and you can trigger it so that if they don't do it, they're going to get another reminder email. Like you don't have to go in there and do this. How about prospecting? You know, this is very easy as well. So like you can automate prospecting. So once somebody reaches out to you, Maybe to, to uh, ask about your product or service, you have a templated email that goes out that says like, hey, here's, here's our, our FAQ, here's our pricing, here's, our, here's what we offer, and all that goes out automatically. And then you say, book a call with me to learn more. And if they don't book a call, you can schedule it so that maybe five days out or a week, whatever, you send them another email. Hey, I hope you had a chance to review this. Um, is this, if, if there's something you want to move forward with, like book a call with me here. Um, appointments, of course, are all automated. Like so, someone books a, a call with me, they're getting reminders. That's all automated. Uh, anything that you're doing more than a few times you know, per week, invoicing can be automated. Um, you, know, you should not be doing that. Uh, you know, and, so, and so a lot of these things that we're looking at are, are time savers. But the other thing I want to encourage people with is like, some people feel like automation is impersonal, but I think if automation is done correctly, and I learned this from my friend, uh, Greg Jenkins, He's like, if automation is done correctly, it feels more personal because like how many times have you, the listener forgot to follow up with somebody? You know what I mean? You're like, yeah, I'll send you an email. And then you forget. It's like days later and you're like, oh my gosh, like I forgot to send this. And if you would have had it automated, that, that, that looks more personal. Um, and so, so all of, there's so many applications of this. Um, 
We do, you know, we we have uh, sales can be automated uh, in upsell. Let's say somebody buys from you a certain product and you have an add-on or something else that could that is complementary to that that they could use that really benefit them. You can automate that. Like so, as soon as they buy things, you buy it. You can you can you can offer them the next thing. You don't have to do that. Like that's all automated, so it can run in the background without you. Yeah, and uh, one of the things that you mentioned about you know remembering to follow up is you know, a lot of times entrepreneurs and business owners tend to be creatives. And creators yeah. tend not always be the most communicative, um, you know, in the world. So if they don't have like a, unless they have like a VA who's going to be doing the communication follow-ups, you know, chance that they could forget because they're caught up in their creative uh, process. Totally. And to your point, man, start off, if you're going to automate, start again, just same rationale is when you eliminated stuff, start off with a couple small things that are not mission critical, that you that are the most annoying or the most redundant or mundane or the things you don't want to do that you can automate and just see how it goes. Like I promise you, once you start doing this, you're gonna become addicted. Now I can't think of I, I can't stop thinking of how I can automate it. Like and and so that your mind, your mind transforms a little bit. And what you're really doing is that mindset shift. You're going from an owner operator to a true owner. Like there's nothing wrong with it being an owner operator. That's great. But like you mentioned before, like if something happens to you, like the business is going to struggle. So how can you move into the actual owner seat so that you own a business, not the business owning you? What do you um, think about folks who have moral concerns that automation eliminates jobs? So for instance, recently McDonald's has had to put in chaos and stuff like that, where people are complaining that it takes them 20 minutes to order like a $6 meal. What, what do you have about those kind of concerns? I guess it depends on what industry you're in, but yeah. what, do you have, what do you have to say to those Man, kind of moral I, concerns? I think, it's in, I think it's inevitable. Like I, I think, number one, I think it's inevitable. And so this is like, if you, if you look throughout history at, um, at jobs, at industries, like go back to the steel industry, for instance, or the printing press, or you know the automotive industry even, like where early workers on that assembly line were, were all, were all human. Now, you know, I walked into the Ford plant here recently and it was, it was, it wasn't all automated, but I'm seeing like these boom arms, like motorized with, 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 uh, with uh, robots, like putting pieces together. And it's like, and so it's some, in some regard, I think it's inevitable and you can, you can have the emotional and the ethical problem with it, but I don't want you to also have the financial problems associated with not with not pivoting in the market. And so you got to realize this is part of, I think, society. Now, don't get me wrong. Automation can be done wrong. Like how many times today um, I was on the phone and I'm on this automated service and they're, they're like, say yes. And, and it was not working and it was extremely frustrating. I just wanted to talk to a person. So you got to realize when it's appropriate or not. But the other way to look at it is that like, hey, if this is, if I have a problem with this, I feel like you can be, you can choose which side you want to be on. Like maybe you're the person that's going to help other people automate. And so you're, you're going to still be the human component behind it. Now, I don't know where this is all going with AI, by the way, that's a scary discussion, like way probably beyond the topic of this, of this yeah. podcast. Cause that, that it could, it could go nuts. Like this could turn into like, you know, whatever Terminator, like, you know, Autodyne or whatever it's called there. Um, but like, I, I do think that it's just inevitable. Um, and I, I think we just have to pivot with it because there are plenty of roles and responsibilities that cannot be easily outsourced. Like, so for instance, like salespeople, that's going to be hard to automate. Like that, the sales process where you're sitting down with a person and having a conversation with them, that's going to be hard to automate. Like if you have a, an expensive offer, 
maybe someone's not going to buy from you from an email or a newsletter and you have to get on the phone. Like, and so, so that could be something that's, that's not easily automatable and other, other professions like, you know, even, but, but I've even, you know, heard of things like, you know, uh, virtual medicine becoming more and more automated and, and all these other things. And so I, I don't know if there's a way around it, man. Like I, I, I see the problem and I, my heart goes out to those people, the people that are going to be displaced, but the ones I, I, this is where I think like at the end of the day, our ultimate job as a business owner is to be resourceful. Like, and, and that's really the, the key that's going to allow you to kind of move forward. And so, um, you know, you, you may find a niche where the personal touch, uh, and, and by the way, like if, if you have a problem with it, pick, pick the things in your business that you can't automate and become really, really good at it because that will make you irreplaceable, um, versus somebody who has like a, a skill that is not really, you know, it's just not a high level skill. And, 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 and so, so I, I think that's the only thing you can do. Yeah. And, uh, Jeff Bezos, the amazon.com owner, uh, talks about the future is going to uh, come to us, you know, whether we like it, whether we're ready for it or not. So we might as well just get yeah. in the driver's seat. Yeah. That's a great question though. Yeah. Definitely some ethical issues there. Yeah. Um, now, so we we we've eliminated, we've automated whatever we can now. Delete now we now we get we come to the point where we have to determine what we want to delegate. What? Yeah. How do we determine what tasks we want to delegate or outsource, and what if any uh, incremental steps or degrees do we have to make sure that the people or the person we are delegating to um, the increasing levels of self-sufficiency and responsibility where the owner doesn't have to be bothered with their delegated activities. So, yeah. So, the, so let me just tell you right off the bat, the delegation is the hardest one of all three for, for most business owners for multiple reasons. Um, what I suggest people do is if you've ever seen like a mind map or like a Venn diagram, it's, a, it's like a tree diagram, right? So it's, it's almost take like an org chart, but then you just can put it on its side and then you just kind of continue out the branches. What I encourage people to do is really is, is to break down every single role and responsibility in their business. Like every, everything as detailed as they can. And then next to that, you can put an E, an A, or a D. Now the D things are the things that we couldn't automate, right? So anything that's left after the E and the A process, those are the things we're looking at. And we're going to put a D next to it. And from those, and the reason why people struggle with delegation is because people are involved. Business is listen. Business is easy until people get involved, right? Employees are probably the number one source of pain and frustration for a lot of business owners. Um, but I, I, I want. I don't want anybody to hate me or send me hate email because of this. But nine times out of ten, it's not the employee. It's you, the business owner, that is is the bottleneck or is that the problem? And what I mean by that is, people assume that because you're good at it. Like you're good at creating X widget or you're good at doing whatever your service or, or, or whatever you provide to, to your customers or clients that you can train other people to do it. And that's just not true. It is a different skill set. Listen closely. Like this is not just because you're good at it doesn't mean you can train somebody to do it or manage other people. And so this is a learning curve. You just got to realize if you're going to be a leader, if you're going to delegate these are these are people, right? This is someone's son, daughter, they have spouse, they have kids. Like you got to first of all think of them like that. And then number 2, you got to develop your skills to not only find these people, but to screen these people, to hire them, 
to train them and then to manage them. And then the last step is really having them do that for the next level round of people that are coming in. Like, cause you don't, you don't want to be, you, you do this, you do this hopefully just a few times and then you're handing it off. Like, so for instance, in life and air, like I've, I've done this for, for our staff, but now like people that are the under, I, I don't like to say under me cause they're, they're equals, but like they are now training and doing that for the people beneath them that are, that are newer, that have just come in. And so the, the, the reason this is hardest is because I think there's more skills to master. Like automation is fairly easy in terms of like, once you learn whatever tool you're using to automate, we use something called keep, uh, formerly known as, as Infusionsoft. Um, but which is K A P. Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, and, but delegation is, there's a lot of tools that you have to learn and to, and to, to use. So, you know, um, and I, and by the way, I've made all the mistakes like, and, and so you really need to master each step of the process. And what happens is like, you'll have a bad experience. And how many times have you heard this, man, it's quicker for me to do it myself. That is true. But, but when you have to do it yourself a hundred times, when you could have just taken somebody, taken the time to train somebody to do it once, and maybe it takes them five times to get it right or 10 times, it's still in the long run, less time. And oh, by the way, what you should be doing, this is, this is something that is a, an awesome tip. Um, as you train somebody, record that, make it a video recording, an audio recording, and then you have a VA transcribe that into an SOP. And then what you do is as those people take up the skill, you have them revise that SOP because they're the ones in the trenches doing it. And therefore, what you're really doing while you're going through this process is creating your company policies and, and your operating procedures. Um, and so it's a lot, it, it's skill. It, it takes time. You're going to get bad seeds. You're going to make the wrong hires. I promise you're going to feel frustrated. I promise you, you're going to want to give up. But this is the one thing that separates, I think, people from, from wanting to remove themselves from the business to, to really being away from the business. Like, cause, cause at the end of the day, you can't automate everything. You just can't. And, and so you need people, you need people if you're gonna have a true business. Um, and so that's hard, that's hard for people to let go though. Like, cause, cause you know, it, I, I get it. <laughs> like I, I've been there, like I've, I've been fighting this fight myself. And that becomes uh that actually also becomes an asset. That standard operating procedures document also becomes an asset. For yeah, business. totally. What advice do you have for owners who may be having some hesitancy with eliminating, automating, and delegating? Yeah. Well, I, my, my biggest advice is two things. One, look at what you are sacrificing in your life by not doing this. And what is your business likely to look like in a year or five years or 10 years if you don't do it? Are you going to be still out there in the field and like you have a bad back and you're working all the time and you're missing family vacations and your kids don't even know you and you haven't hung out with your friends in forever? What are you losing by not doing it? And then two, get rid of the idea that it has to be perfect from the start and just start. Pick one small thing to eliminate. Pick one small thing to automate and pick one tiny thing to delegate. Maybe you're going to delegate like the most minuscule risk-free task you can that is not going to like sink the business at all. You know, if you're like, for instance, like maybe, maybe you're going to just give them something like, hey, I want, if, if you're, if you're, you you have a product here that that is reaching out to to customers or something like that. Maybe you're going to have them send out a template, something super easy, super simple. And by the way, the one the one thing with delegation I want to encourage people with is like the step. It goes like this: you do it yourself. It's a three step process. You do it yourself. 
Then you watch somebody else do it. And then that person does it independently on their own. It's, you're not just handing them off and saying, here, go. Like that's, that's not going to be good leadership and good management. You, you got to empower them and equip them to be successful. Um, but as you take those baby steps, you're gonna, they're going to prove their worth. You're going to build your confidence and you're going to realize, man, I should have done this earlier. Like eight times out of 10, I'm seeing people say like, man, I should have done this way earlier. I don't know why I waited so long, but it's the small steps. Do not try to go big. This isn't like go big or go home, right? This, that's not, that's not a formula that's going to work. Start small and go slow when it comes to this stuff. And you'll be, you'll be much happier. Yeah. And then that's, uh, you also build your delegation skills. Uh, Yeah. That's right, man. That's totally true. And, uh, you know, the army, uh, the military has this thing that this, what they call the, the star method. I was in the military, but I used to have a boss who was in the military. And he's the one that, you know, shared this with me. When they, it stands for, like, show me, teach me, allow me, review me. So first you show the person you're delegating to. Then you teach them, you know, how to do it or how you do it. And then you allow them to do it. And then you review how they're doing it. Um, oh, I so, love that. Yeah. What do you see on the horizon as far as uh, business is concerned? And how do you see life and impacting the lives of business owners in the future? Well, I think, yeah. So, so business, um, you know, most of the industries that I'm seeing now, in it, you know, of course, the, the pivot side of things aside with technology and like we mentioned, automation and stuff like that, um, I'm seeing businesses just about everywhere experiencing a rapid growth post COVID. Like a lot of things are opening up again. Um, now the other thing that's interesting is we've seen a lot of businesses that have not flourished, um, because they have refused to pivot. And so I think, I think pivoting is something, but, but I'll, I'll let me get back up. For instance, food trucks, um, I had a buddy who had a food truck and as soon as, and he was going to offices for his food truck business when COVID hit, well, guess what? Nobody's working at their office anymore because they're all working remotely. So what he started doing is he went to hospitals and was hanging out in hospital parking lots. And I'm like, dude, that's brilliant. Like, and so those pivot are, those pivots are available. Um, but I think as things pick up more and more, there, there's a mentality of making hay when the sun shines and I'm not opposed to that. I get it but make sure you don't get stuck on that treadmill that keeps going faster and faster and faster. And the only way you get off is because you fall off um, because that's not a place you want to be and it hurts. So as your as business is getting better and better, just make sure that you're keeping that, that the finger on the pulse of like, Hey, when is, when is enough enough? When can I, cause, cause I think as entrepreneurs and business owners, we have this mentality of like, Hey, bigger is better. I'm going to keep, I'm going to take over the world. I'm going to dominate, like, you know, and that's cool. Except when, when, uh, you go, you work past a solution, like we talked about before. And so I think as business owners get more and more busy, they gotta, they gotta really work on creating that vision for their life. And that's gonna, that's gonna, and people sometimes say like, Oh, life in air, this is a misconception. People are like, Oh, life in air is about taking it easy and living on a beach and retiring and being lazy bums. I'm like, no, that's not life in at all. Life in are some of the hardest working people I know, but they do it within very, very narrowly and rigidly defined windows in their lives. So they don't sacrifice things. And so that's what I'd encourage for business owners as they get busier, start to start to have a thermometer on the temperature of things in your personal life. Like, huh, like business is going great and I'm making all this money, but gosh, my, my husband's really mad at me because he says we haven't had a date night in, in you know, six months. Well, uh, take a look at that because that stuff's all interlinked and that's going to hurt if things go south. Um, 
And so I think that's one important thing is, as businesses kind of move forward that I'd, I'd look, for, look for. And you meant your question about life and error. Like we're here to really do two things. One is like help people create the vision for their life. That's, and we do that through our Get a Life Getaway. And then like we have our business builder workshop, which is like, hey, how do you actually, yeah, okay, you, you created your vision and you decided that you want to work 20 hours a week. How do I do that? How do I, how do I seed my business? And that's what the business builder workshop does. And that's, that's kind of like all we do. Like that's, that's our, you know, our one, two punch for people, for business owners and entrepreneurs that, that we found um, serves our, serves our clients the most. Wonderful. Any final takeaways for our audience? Yeah. Enjoy the, enjoy, enjoy business. It is meant to be awesome. It's meant to be fun. You don't have to choose between having a great life and a great business. I'm giving you permission to have both. And I think the, the aspiration of making a lot of money is, is the wrong bar. It's the wrong bar. It should be making a lot of money and having a great life. And like, that's what it's all about. And then when you have time and financial freedom and you enjoy what you're doing in your business because you've eliminated the stuff you don't want to do, you've delegated the stuff you're not good at, you've automated the stuff that's annoying for you. Like, it's awesome. Like, it should be fun. Like you wake up every day excited for what you get to do versus dreading going to work. That's totally realistic, totally possible that I, I want everyone to achieve. Wonderful. That's good. Well, thank you so much, Jason, for joining Thanks for us having today. me, man. That was wonderful. How can people get in contact with you or follow your work and if they want to yeah, follow up with you? The best two places, uh, lifeinner.com is where they can learn about our offerings and our, and our events. And then if they want to, we have a private Facebook page. If you just type in Life in Air, you'll see it's a private page where just discussions about Life in Air are going on every single day. And we have people kind of just chiming in and helping each other. The one thing with Life in Air that's awesome that I that has been a tremendous blessing as we've managed to attract a lot of people that just love to give and love to help others succeed. And so you can get in there and be part of that. Uh, there's, there's no cost for that at all. And we're going to have that information in the show notes as well. So for people that may be driving, they can at least read it later. Now, life and air, I guess, you know, if you want to spell it out for people that may. Oh, good know, point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's L I F E life O N A I R E. And that's lifeinair.com. Just think of the word millionaire, except with life in front of it. Mm-hmm.